but I mean, Big Al forever will hold a place in my heart because he hits dingers. Yeah, that's he does hit dingers. Welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Lila McRae. Welcome back in for another episode of the Yak Sports Podcast, your Augusta County sports podcast where we talk everything that matters to you, the Augusta County sports fan. Joe, back at it again. Yeah, it was a great Friday night uh, in the area. A lot of good high school football games. Uh, Some folks in the area happier than others. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and talk about that now. Uh, You and I were at the draft Waynesboro game and um, we had a few answers uh, a few questions answered, but, uh, you know, I was going to talk to you about this on here. You know, I, I feel like these are two teams that we felt like were bubble teams coming in. And so I kind of want to see what they do as yeah. the, in the next few weeks. We'll learn a lot about Stewart's draft when they play Riverheads in a couple weeks. Yeah, that's been my conversations with everybody. And, you know, talking with people that listen to the radio broadcast, they say, well, draft probably not that bad. And, you know, in all honesty, that's probably painting the picture pretty nice on a Friday night. That was two teams that I don't speak. I didn't expect a lot out of this season and they're playing each other. So I agree with you in two weeks, they pray at Riverheads we will be there for that game. I think we'll learn a lot at that time on, you know, can that defense contain a running game? They didn't do a really good job of that this week against Waynesboro is Freddie Watkins, you know, a, a pretty good quarterback. And, and I think he has some talent and I think he has some stuff to work with, but let's have Riverheads defense rushing him before we anoint him, uh, you know, one of their best quarterbacks ever. Yeah, I, I think Waynesboro's defense actually wasn't that bad. Um, I, I thought Freddie well, Watkins... Well, yeah, they did great in the second half, shutting them down. All they gave up was the kickoff returns in the second three half. Three yards. Yeah, they only had to stop them one drive. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's another issue. We did learn Waynesboro's special team's not great. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, no, I, I was impressed with Freddie Watkins. Freddie Watkins did more than I thought he was going to in that game. I, I think he was really good, but trying to look back at some of these other quarterbacks... Uh, the CJ Dameron kid that's at Shenandoah now really trying to look at him. Cause I think last year their quarterback play, they had more of a leader at quarterback than they had a really special quarterback. I think Dameron did a really good job a couple of years ago trying to compare to him. I really couldn't come up with a conclusion, but I know here in two weeks, we'll really know what they have looking at some other stuff around the area. You know, a lot of people talked about Lee really taking it to TA or putting points up on TA, but they really let him back in the game in the second half. I don't take as much away from that game. I don't expect anything out of TA. I, I don't not. I don't think TA is a playoff team. I don't think they're going to win more than three games. So I just don't put that much value for Lee on that game. No, I was more worried about the fact that TA, or excuse me, TA was able to score as many points as they were against Lee. That that was what yeah. I took from that game more than anything. And it was all on the ground, and it was the Swinehart kid who he scored like five touchdowns, four or five touchdowns against Lee. You know, in the Shenandoah district where everybody runs. I mean, I think Gap, Wilson, and Riverheads all got to be licking their lips looking at that defense, saying if we can put, if they can put up five touchdowns on them, we will too. So, yeah, I don't, I don't take much from that. Uh, the one game I did take a lot away from is East Rock. That that team went from I would say I gave them a thirty percent chance to win the district to now I think it's fifty fifty. Yeah, I think it it is impressive. I know it's just one game. I know it it I I don't always put a lot of value in. 2A beating 3A and all that kind of stuff. But Spotswood's a solid program. They're continually good. And I would be shocked if there's some kind of down team this year. So I think East Rock coming in first game of the season, being that ready to play against 
quality group of athletes in the very least in Spotswood proves a lot. And, you know, I think everybody in the Valley just got that much more interested for those two games back to back that they have coming up in week three and four, where they play at Lee one week and host Riverheads the next. It's going to be just blockbuster two weeks of football. Leland, we also talked about Fort Defiance. Um, they held tough in the first half Friday night. They are better than they were last year, but running up against Buffalo Gap's a tough, that's a tall order yeah. in your opener. And Rivenberg is as advertised heading into this year. Yeah, five touchdowns for Rivenberg, 300-plus yards. And, I mean, that's all that we expected out of him. Uh, for Fort Defiance, I think it just re-solidifies the fact that I think Fort Defiance will be improved this year. I just don't know what that means to their win-loss record. I don't think they just magically get five wins this year because they're improved. I think their max is still like three. You're looking at TA and if Broadway's still down, and we don't know what Broadway is. Broadway held tough at Western Almaro, but you look at Fort Defiance, I think they could, They had a lot of room to improve without even increasing their win probability. So uh, we'll see what they're able to do. The one thing on the other side of the ball were Buffalo Gap. You know, last year I noticed they would they'd get some just bonehead penalties and just tack just penalties that really killed them at big moments and games that we had them. And I think they, they did some of that again this week from what I hear from people that were out at the gap game, you know, just needless celebration penalties and, and stuff like that. They got to cut that stuff out. I mean, that's part of the reason Riverhead came back on them last year. They got to play a cleaner game. Okay. Well, speaking of Riverheads, they open up this week <laughs> as does Wilson. Yeah. And I think, you know, we don't need to talk about Riverheads are playing Bath County. I'm sorry if anybody from Bath's listening, that's scrimmage number three for Riverheads. Just go wow. in there, don't get hurt. I was going to say, as long as River the Riverheads bus doesn't get lost on the way to Bath County, they win that game. Oh, they know the way. And then uh, Wilson, <laughs> hey, they play a big game against Waynesboro, and it's going to be a fun one over there because I think Waynesboro's kind of came back down to where Wilson is, and I think Wilson's gotten a little bit better. And, and you know, you have to wait till Friday to know who I'm really going to pick. But at the moment, I'm leaning Wilson. If they're improved on defense and if they can produce any kind of offense, I think they'll be in the game just the same the draft was. I hope you do. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Also wanted here in this A block to talk about the other big sport that got started last week. The uh, volleyball season got started and, you know, Fort jumped out to a, a nice 2-0 and early season start beating draft and lead two quality programs in volleyball. They have games coming up against Wilson, who who started out 1-0. Wilson trying to defend their 2017 state title. So a lot to play for there. There's some new coaches in the area, including at draft at Lee and I believe at gap and Riverheads only has a second year coach. So for an area that has a lot of tradition in volleyball, that has a lot of teams that have, have gone really long ways. There's a lot of freshness in the volleyball uh, teams around the area. Yeah. And, and you know, I think it would be great. Uh, I hope to get out to some volleyball games since we're going to be talking about it on this podcast and get to see some volleyball games this fall here uh, in between football season and stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'll be honest with you showing a little bit of bias here, but I know the Al Shires uh, coach of Waynesboro, <laughs> Lori Al Shire. I uh, got the, I'm fortunate enough to get to know their family a little bit through my time at the boys and girls club and uh, you know, go Waynesboro, get it, get the upset, knock off the defending state champs. <laughs> and I know a Jan Williams that used to coach at Lee. So we have some hookups here. So later in the season, maybe we'll hear from one or both of them, but next week we're going to have Patrick Hyde on 
He's going to uh, break down, you know, what we can expect from this volleyball season. Also, you know, kind of talk about what's happened this week between the, you know, the the uh, Stewart's Draft Riverheads game, the Waynesboro at Wilson game happening this week, and then also Gap and Lee happening this week. So a couple of good choices. So if you're going to make out to one, Joe, any one of those are a good choice. But um, expected a lot out of volleyball this year, and I think Wilson has a good shot at going deep again. Yeah, I think this area is really, really good when it comes to athletic programs. Volleyball is no different. We've we've been blessed in the football programs here in this area the past few years, and and as well as uh, R.E. Lee in basketball making deep runs. I think Riverheads this year has a pretty good chance in basketball to make a deep run. A uh, little bit of an early basketball season preview, but. Uh, volleyball, you know, Wilson won the state championship last year. You touched on it. I mean, there's a lot of programs with new coaches and those coaches are looking to build and, you know, build off that success from Wilson, because I think that helps when you see a certain area school do really well in a sport, it kind of motivates the other kids in the area to be like, Oh yeah, I want to play. I want to play. And even if it's not at that school, and then you can get the talent in your program and build it up and, you know, everybody in this area can then start to reach for Wilson and try to drag them down and get on top of them. Yeah, I think I think your point is absolutely right. I think we've seen that with these other sports. So uh, a lot to be seen this year with volleyball and, and the basketball that you're already previewing for us. But stick with us on this podcast. we got a lot of college football coming talk coming up. Uh, we're going to break down, you know, the Hokies and talk uh about a little bit about UVA, but next we got a nice interview with Greg Mattia where he's going to tell us everything we need to know about the JMU Dukes in the 2018 season. We're now back on the Yak Sports Podcast with Greg Mattia from the DNR. He's he knows everything, all JMU Dukes up there in Harrisonburg, and figure uh, he'll be able to clue us in on what the team's going to look like this year. Greg, thanks for coming on. Happy to be with you guys. Thanks, uh, thanks, thanks for inviting me on the show. So everything I've been hearing this offseason has been talking about the quarterback uh, competition. There's a there's a transfer coming in, and uh, there's guys that were on the roster last year. Obviously, uh, the, the senior quarterback is gone, the one that took him to – two national champions winning one. So talk about that quarterback situation here going into the 2018 season. Yeah, so basically since Brian Shore graduated after uh, the national championship game, uh, you looked at JMU and you knew there was going to be a quarterback battle between uh, Cole Johnson, who was Brian Shore's backup in each of the past two seasons, and then Ben DiNucci, who JMU brought in uh, from Pittsburgh, Danucci actually contacted JMU back in uh, December. Uh, there wasn't a spot for him, a scholarship spot for him then, so he decided to walk on, take a chance on himself. Uh, by the time the spring was over, he was on scholarship, uh, and now uh, it's really been a heated competition between Danucci and Johnson. They've split first-team reps all the way through training camp and are still splitting first-team reps into this week. This game week is as the Dukes prepare for NC State on Saturday down in Carter-Finley Stadium in Raleigh. Uh, I, I, it's, it's really tough because the factor that what makes the decision so tough is that James Madison has to pick a direction for its offense. Uh, the Dukes have to decide if they want to go with Johnson. It's going to be a little bit different than it was the past couple of years when Brian Shore uh, was, was behind center. Uh, Johnson is more the typical 
uh, pocket passer, the, the pro-style quarterback. Uh, and, and you look at Danucci, and he's more like Brian Shore uh, than, than Johnson is. So I think the big question is, which direction does James Madison want to take its offense? Is it going to go you know, kind of with what they've been the past couple of seasons? Uh, and that's, that would be the direction of choosing Danucci. Or are they going to go something a little bit different, and they're going to go with Johnson, who can throw the ball a little bit downfield, uh, and they'll have to focus more on traditional running attack. Uh, but I do think they have an offensive line that's capable of handling that and you know, may not need uh, Danucci to improvise as much as Brian Shore did the past couple of seasons as James Madison fans are, are used to witnessing on Saturdays. Uh, so that's the big question. Which direction do they want to take their offense? Uh, it's totally possible both of them play Saturday and they try to figure that this quarterback out, uh, this quarterback situation out then. Uh, but uh, at some point, I think they're going to have to pick a direction for their offense. Interesting. Do you have any gut feeling or, or you know, if, has anything trending one way or the other, in your opinion? Oof. For, for me, I, I think it's it's too it's it's close. It's way too close to call. Uh, I I've seen quarterback battles uh, before at different schools uh, where, you know, coaches said and you could even take the example from a couple of years ago when Brian Shore had to beat out Connor Mitch for the job at James Madison. Connor Mitch had transferred him from South Carolina with some fanfare. And kind of everybody thought maybe that Mitch was going to be the guy since a new staff was bringing him in. And it really wasn't even close in training camp. Brian Shore ran away with the job and started taking reps with the first team, taking all the reps with the first team about a week, week two weeks into camp. Uh, that has not happened. This one is close. Uh, the coaches have not indicated which way they're leaning. Uh, I really, I, to, to be honest, I don't have a feel for which direction they're going to go. They could go either way, and it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, one bit with which direction they go. That's that's how close the battle is. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Now, real quick, you know, kicker has come up as a big competition. We saw, you know, the kicker all season uh, do well, and then in the playoffs, uh, the backup had a big long kick and won him the game. So talk about which way that kicker competition's going. Yeah, so Ethan Ratke, uh, who, who had that game-winning field goal against Weber State in the FCS quarterfinal game, uh, he's likely going to be the place kicker that's that's what I would think that's that's kind of my best bet there Tyler Gray who had one of the big kicks a couple of years ago en route to James Madison's national championship victory he had the big kick up in the Fargo Dome uh that helped put them ahead by uh head head by uh, I think double digits that was the big kick uh to, to separate them from North Dakota State and uh, I think he'll still have a role he'll be the the kickoff man uh, he'll be the guy who kicks the ball off to start games and that kind of deal. Uh, but I think your place kicker is Tyler or is there, is Ethan Ratke. I'm sorry. I always get him mixed up a little bit because they have similar roles. And the funny thing is they're, they're really good friends. You know, I practice, you always see them hanging out together, talking on the sideline, you know, what special teams guys do at practice. Uh, not much until they're called to kick field goals. <laughs> but uh, those two guys, they're really good friends. And I, I think Rat, I think they'll both have a role. And that's probably a good thing if you're, if you're thinking about it from James Madison's perspective and that you're not going to be wearing one guy's leg out uh, more more than you need to be, uh, more than you need to. Uh, so that's that's the situation there. Ratke kick field goals. Uh, Tyler Gray will handle the kickoffs. All right, Greg. Well, I know, you know Leland prefaces everything by saying I'm negative, and I am a bit negative. <laughs> but um, I will say, you know, the wide receiver depth is, he even gives me a question that's bound to be negative. Uh, they lost a lot of wide receivers. It's not a very veteran wide receiver class. 
in terms of wide receivers, you look at the roster and there's the one senior at the wide receiver core in Devin or excuse me, David Eldridge. And then the next oldest guy is a redshirt junior, Riley Stapleton, who I actually thought JM, you kind of underutilized a little bit last year, Stapleton. So I'm hoping that maybe because he's one of the more veteran guys, we'll see more of him. Cause I think he's a really special player there. Uh, but let's, what is JMU expecting from this young wide receiver core? Yeah. So, so Stapleton, I think you probably remember he emerged last postseason. He had a terrific, tremendous postseason, a couple of hundred yard games, uh, three, three touchdowns in the postseason last year, really came on as Jamie's go-to target. Uh, he's going to be the number one wide receiver. Uh, there's no doubt about that. They, they love Stapleton, the coaching staff. He's, he's one of their, their toughest guys, one of their hardest workers. Uh, he's going to be their number one guy without a doubt. And whether, Danucci's the quarterback or Cole Johnson's the quarterback. The first guy, either either whoever wins that job is going to look for is Riley Stapleton out on the perimeter. David Eldridge, former Virginia transfer. Uh, he's in his second year with the program. He'll start on the opposite side of Stapleton. Uh, so those guys will be your number one receivers, uh, a, a your wide receivers. Inside in the slot, uh, you're looking at probably Josh Sims, a redshirt freshman. And this kid, uh, there, there are obviously some questions at that position. The last couple of years, they've been fortunate. They've had guys like John Miller and Rashard Davis uh, really thrive at that spot. You take Sims now, and he's going from a year where he was redshirted, didn't play a snap uh, after his after after uh, a good career at Eastside High School down in Georgia, uh, and now he's thrown into the fire. He's going to be in there against NC State, so he's going from no snaps to starting uh, for JMU in a slot, likely. Uh, so I think that that slot position is a little bit of a question mark. Uh, behind Sims is E.J. Morgan, a junior college transfer from ASA College in Brooklyn, uh, New York. So I think that that spot's got some question marks. Morgan may be a little bit more talented, uh, really, really fast, but he's had hamstring problems in his career. It's it's why some some bigger schools didn't come calling. He was a junior college All-American uh, so I think if they can get that slot receiver spot figured out, they'll, they'll have some success on offense, uh, utilizing the middle of the field from that position. Uh, behind those guys, uh, it sits up and down. It's it's a little bit of question mark because the guys are so young. The receivers are so young at those spots. Kendall Dean, Daniel Ledoux, Jake Brown, all freshmen or redshirt freshmen in the mix. Uh, and, and, you know, it's going to be whoever steps up when they're thrown in there. Uh, so the receiver spot does have some questions aside from Stapleton and Eldridge. I think those two guys will be the, the two leading receivers at the end of the year. Uh, they'll have to make up for it using Clayton Cheatham a little bit. Uh, the tight end, the number one tight end uh, in, in obvious passing situations, they can split him out uh, into the slot position if they have to. They can also use some of their running backs. Uh, they have five really good running backs, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Juwan Hamilton, the Central Florida transfer, uh, if he gets in the slot, he's really talented catching the ball. Trey Sharp's another one, the senior, uh, who who can catch the ball out of the backfield as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Cheatham, Sharp, Hamilton, those guys that aren't wide receivers, maybe used in the slot or even out wide at times to, to make up for, for some of the lack of depth there, uh, James Madison with the receiver position. Well, in our area, you know, one of those tight ends, you talked about Cheatham as the number one guy, but we know Matt Cullen is down the – depth chart there and he's a graduate of wilson memorial down here in augusta county you know talk about max chances of getting on the field some this year now playing in his redshirt junior season yeah i think he'll play i do think he'll play he's not going to start and 
He's not going to lead the team in receiving, but but he'll have a role. Uh, because they're a little thin at wide receiver, because they're a little thin at tight end, uh, I think he does see some action behind Clayton Cheatham. Now, uh, a big a big part of this is, is how healthy Nick Carlton is. Uh, Nick Carlton started some games for them at tight end last year and then uh, had a season-ending knee injury. He's still working back from that. Not sure if he'll play Saturday uh, against the Wolfpack. So if he doesn't, that means Matt Collins, the number two tight end. And when that happens, James Madison likes to use its tight ends. Uh, and you can't put Cheatham on the field for every single play. He's going to need a break at some time. Uh, so I do think if, if that's the case, Matt Cullen will see action and, and he'll be part of this team. I think he's on the field goal team uh, as well, play some special teams for them. Uh, so I think Matt Cullen, you'll see him at times. He's, he's not going to be a star, uh, not going to be, you know, a, a big time contributor, but, but you'll see him at times play and, and uh, you know, give something maybe when they, when they need it, when they, when Cheatham needs a breather, when, when they need somebody out on special teams, maybe he's that guy. Okay, Greg. Uh, now, this is where I'm going to get a little pessimistic and then super optimistic in terms of JMU, and I guess just disrespect toward FCS in general. But um, they open up the season with NC State, and JMU has a phenomenal defense coming back. They averaged just over 11 points a game last year, uh, which was best in the FCS. And they're going to open up with NC State, who's losing a lot from last year, but I just I think NC State is just too good. I don't. I know that's a sexy upset pick this to open up the season. I don't see that. But after that, uh, I'm aware that the CAA has six preseason top 25 teams, including JMU. But looking back at last year's schedule and just the way the playoffs even played out, JMU had one game in the regular season come that was within one possession at the final score. And then the quarterfinal, I was, I was actually at that game. It was a close game. But then you look at the semifinal, and they just handled South Dakota State. North Dakota State handled everybody they played. It just gives me this feel that even though JMU lost a lot on offense and they're going to have to insert some pieces, I I just don't think the FCS is very good. I think one and two being North Dakota State and JMU is so much better than everyone else. I I think these are your two teams again without a hands down. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, if if you're looking big picture at at the FCS, it's it's hard to say you're wrong. Uh, I think anyone that covers FCS nationally or uh, is there, covers it enough? Covers there the beat uh, as a beat writer for the for the team they cover would tell you, uh, North Dakota State, James Madison, and then everybody else is fighting for third. Uh, so it, that that is a legitimate thought. I do think the CA schedule this year provides a little bit more challenge than it did last year. You look at where James Madison's road games are, and I don't know if how, how how much the that 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 helps an opponent, but. Uh, this year, some of their toughest CAA, ro- game, CAA games are on the road. Uh, you look at New Hampshire, that that game could be for the CAA championship. I think New Hampshire is going to be better. They're an older team uh, between Trevor Knight, the quarterback, and Neil O'Connor, uh, the, the wide receiver. They connected for 10, 10, 11 touchdowns last year. Malik Love is back for them. Uh, they have Pop Lacey at safety. That's a veteran team, New Hampshire, and I think uh, Stony Brook is another one. They come to Harrisonburg again, and, and James Madison handled them in the playoffs last year. But that's another veteran team that's been around, plays tough. Uh, they they have something like 16 starters back, or 16 seniors back, excuse me. Uh, I think 13 of them are, are, are fifth-year guys, two or sixth-year guys, and they have one true senior. I think when, when I talked to Chuck Priori this offseason, that's what he told me, the Stony Brook coach. That's a tough game. they got to go to Villanova. 
Uh, that won't be easy. They they had a dogfight there a couple of years ago when Brian Shore got hurt. Uh, Villanova was banged up last year, beaten, battered. I'm not sold on them this year, but uh, if that's a team, if there's a team with some upside, it, it might be Villanova. They get Zach Bednarzik back, the quarterback. Rob Rolls back for his fifth season with the team after he had a season-ending injury last year. Ryan Bell, the tight end. Uh, I think if you're looking big picture, FCS, CAA. Uh, JMU, North Dakota State, probably meet again in Frisco. Uh, but in terms of CAA, others that could be in the mix for a, for a conference championship, I think you got to look at you got to look at Villanova, you got to look at Stony Brook, you got to look at New Hampshire, uh, maybe even Delaware with Danny Rock on what he's doing there. They bring back uh, some nice some nice pieces. Uh, Connie Kane, a running back, is a very very good player. Uh, Elon. I, I want to see them prove it again before I anoint them a contender. Uh, but that's kind of how, how I'd see the league at this point. Okay. Well, before we let you go, I, I guess I just want to ask you, given a percentage, you know, zero to a hundred, what is the percentage that JMU doesn't win the CAA? Hmm. Doesn't win the CAA? Correct. I agree. That's exactly where I was. I was like 95, five, you never know with an injury or something, but I mean, I just, (laughs) well, I guess, I guess the other thing is, and this, this has to be fair. This is, this is, I guess, from the assumption that the quarterback spot is going to be good. Brian Shore was a very good player, changed games, changed the way defenses played against James Madison. Yeah. If it turns out that Cole Johnson and Ben DiNucci are still battling because nobody's good enough to win it. That's a problem. That's a serious issue. And then, you know, then, then James Madison might have to rethink how their season's going to go. Uh, but I don't think that's the case. I think these two guys are very good players, and whoever they plug in will be fine, and they have a running game to mask it if not. Uh, but if if each quarter, if either quarterback is deeply flawed uh, and, and none of them step up, uh, then, then, then you may have to adjust that a uh, little bit, you know? I think that's a great point. I know when Brian Shore came in the game uh, for Vad Lee when he got hurt, uh, and that was at the the game where game day was in town a couple years ago. Immediately, you could see that he had a lot of talent and uh, was very capable of running that offense. So I think you make a great point that, you know, maybe Shore was also at that high level, and these guys are going to have to match that to keep expectations. So I think it's a great point. Yeah, he was he was a CAA Offensive Player of the Year yeah. a couple ago, yeah. Well, Greg, we really appreciate you stopping in with us this week. We, I'm sure we'll talk to you again down the road uh, as there'll be plenty to talk about the Dukes this season. And, and hopefully there's a reason to talk to you, you know, on into December as well. But uh, thanks for coming on this week and we look forward to hearing from you again. OK, guys, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Was was a nice, nice first time hanging out with you. Yeah, great. And uh, I forgot to ask. Uh, go ahead and tell the listeners where they can find your stuff, where to find you on Twitter. Uh, dnronline.com can find all the JMU stuff there as well as jamesmadison.rivals.com that site's also uh, DNR, it's also a DNR site uh, so those two sites and then on Twitter you can find all the links uh, Medea underscore DNR sports that's great, thank you Greg for coming on with us we look forward to hearing from you again thanks guys We are back with the C Block, where we're this week we are going to dive into the college football season. You've already heard everything you need to know about JMU. Uh, I think you've also heard our opinions about JMU there, too. So you kind of know where we think. We think JMU is going to do very well, and that we'll be able to be talking about them 
uh, through Christmas. But let's talk about the Virginia Tech Hokies, the team that you and I probably follow the, the closest between us. Yeah, uh, you have a lot more optimism than I do about Virginia Tech. I think for oh, me, it, it comes down to the season opener for Virginia Tech. If they win that game, then the Hokies are looking at a potential perfect season, in my opinion. And, you know, then you can say the, the P word uh, with playoffs. But I bill this as you being pessimistic and all of a sudden you brought up a perfect season. In no way do I think they can do a perfect season. Well, if they beat Florida State, who on that schedule is beating them? I don't think Miami's better than Florida State. I mean, I, I agree with you, but I also know my Hokies from the last two decades, and they'll still oh, under somewhere. a uh, Frank I mean, Beamer? I think if they beat Florida State, now you start assuming they are in the ACC championship game. Yes, but a perfect season is, a, I think, a different different thing to talk. I about. know Miami is ranked eighth. I know Notre Dame is ranked twelfth. They're both fake. That's let me fine. Say, let and me I say that. that all day. Um, both of those teams are the most overranked teams at any given time. Josh Jackson's not good. Josh Jackson should not be starting. Ryan Willis definitely shouldn't be the backup. Uh, if Ryan Willis is in any Virginia Tech game and the Hokies are not up at least four scores and there's four minutes or less in the game, I am terrified for Virginia Tech's chances to win that game. I think Ryan Willis, who transferred from Kansas, may be the worst quarterback to put on a Virginia Tech jersey since I don't before Jim Druckenmiller. I mean, Grant Knoll played for the Hokies. You're forgetting. Grant Knoll is better than that. Grant Knoll was able to win six games. Ryan Willis went 0-12. You watched more Kansas football than I ever Ryan Willis went 0-12 with Kansas. (laughs) All right, so looking at the rest of their schedule, you know, they get passed through that first game, win or loss. There's three winnable games, four winnable games behind that before they play Notre Dame. So either way, they could come into the – this, the second biggest game on their schedule for the season, the Notre Dame game, with a lot of momentum. I, I think I don't think it's just the first game is going to indicate perfect season or not. I, I think it, it indicates expectations for ACC championship, but I still think they can get in there with like two losses. The ACC championship, yes. Yeah, because I don't think Miami is just going to be rolling by any means. I don't think I don't I don't think that's the case. I think they can lose to Florida State. I don't know who else they lose to to get that second loss, but they stubbed their toe. But I think they could easily, as long as they beat Miami, they'll be all right because they'll own that tiebreaker. Yeah, but I don't think they're beating Miami with Josh Jackson is my point. I know I just said Miami's soft and they're fake, but they're better than Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson, and this is my biggest problem with Josh Jackson. He's going to be the highlight of my Virginia Tech preview, if you can't tell already. Every (laughs) time Virginia Tech needed him in a big game and they gave him more responsibility. He failed. And I know what, what you're going to say. What grade was he? What? How old is the kid? I Okay. Uh, that guy who came in in the Alabama game in the national championship, I, that was kind of a big game. He was playing Clemson. They're pretty good. Um, yeah. How did he do? If we, if we could have him on our roster, I bet he'd be starting no problem. So, I mean, there, how did we're he talking do? Alabama recruits that is like three deep five-star players and our guys that are okay. not um, three deep five-star players. James we're not Winston even, was a freshman. Jay, I don't want Jameis Winston on my roster, so we don't need to dive too far into that. I'm just saying it's it's not impossible for freshmen to come in and be good. That is a top notch defense at Virginia he was, Tech. He, he, was he can't okay. hit he, open he, receivers. He had good moments. The hard the harder the opponent got, the more he struggled. He had a good first game, which did hype him up, and I think that's why you're hating on him is because he got that early hype. But I think if you look past that, 
he's not trash like you make him out to be. He's a decent enough quarterback that has a lot of potential. And if he's starting this year, I got to trust our coaches that he's the one that's supposed to be starting. I don't care who our second string quarterback is. If if we need a second string quarterback, then I'll see what the roster looks like. But at, at this time, they're just going to leave the guy that's been in the program a, a season or something. That's fine. But if, if they end up needing to drop Josh Jackson, I just wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, a Peterson going on up from there. I'm just saying you recruited Peterson, you recruited Hooker. These are both guys that were heavily recruited. Virginia Tech won that battle. And now you're going to say, hey, you're going to sit behind a guy who can't hit open receivers. I just think you're putting too much judgment on his freshman season and that he can't be better this year. And I think I think if he isn't, then I'm really expecting Peterson to be in the mix. I don't even care about the Kansas quarterback. If I, I will worry about that if he's actually on the field. Okay, well, let's let's move on, uh, because as you said, after the Florida State game, which I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to go game by game here uh, and you can either debate me or, you know, what have you. Um, (laughs) Labor Day, it's at Florida State loss. Home against William Mary. Why is Florida State just an automatic loss with a new coach with not near the experience at quarterback? That is listed. Uh, their quarterback in the, was like, injured last year. He got injured. Yeah, and, in he did, and he got zero experience last year. He's going to be fine. Okay. He's better than Josh Jackson. Uh, promise. Then they host William and Mary. That's a win. Then they have four wins. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. None, none of the other games are good. <laughs> At home against Notre Dame, uh, without seeing Notre Dame yet, I'm going to give Virginia Tech an edge there at home and say they beat Notre Dame. Five yep. and one at North Carolina better not be a struggle this year. Six and one home no, against rain. We'll be good home against Georgia tech on a Thursday night is tough, mm, man. I'll go Virginia tech seven and one Boston college is going to be another team that is going to be sneaky. Good this year. Eight and one. And we struggle with Boston college though sometimes, but it's at home. If it was at chestnut Hill, I would be worried, but it's at home at Pitt. God, we stub our toe at Pittsburgh all the time. I'm going to say a win. I'm going to say they're going to have one loss playing Miami, and I'm going to say Josh Jackson's still the starter, and they lose that game, and then they beat UVA. So 10-2. So what what did you say at the beginning of this podcast, whether it was perfect season or what's this record you just gave us? 10-2, yeah, I I want to improve. 10-2. They're going to miss the ACC championship game. 10-2 is what I throw at the season right now. They're going to miss the ACC championship game. Well... I, I think I think we're seeing it about the same. I think a ten and two season is probably the the high end. Honestly, I don't see any kind of perfect season, but I don't see some kind of low season where we don't make a bowl game. I think we are secured a bowl game just looking at the schedule. Miami doesn't play Clemson this year, so I, I think for me it comes down to the Virginia Tech Miami game on who goes, who wins the coastal. Uh, I don't think Virginia Tech gets it done. Wouldn't that be like Miami's first time to the ACC championship? It would, which is kind of funny considering they yeah. made the divisions this way. So Miami and Florida State would always play each other. Well, speaking of teams that uh, play in the same state, let's talk about the Cavaliers a little bit. They just recently named their starting quarterback for the season. The Perkins kid won it out over there. He's a former Arizona State player. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to bring some excitement to the quarterback position for them. And, you know, in my biased opinion, any kind of excitement at quarterback would be uh, an improvement for them. Yeah. um, Some people in Charlottesville have high hopes for this team and coach Mendenhall continuing to build that program. I am not one of them. Uh, I think they, I think Richmond's going to be a tough game. I think they maybe win that game. 
at Indiana. I've just watched UVA struggle with Indiana so many times. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say they win that game. So they're two and oh, they will not beat the Ohio Bobcats. I know you're going to say that's because I'm biased and I, you are so I have... biased for Ohio for no good reason, <laughs> but like, I'm telling you, Ohio, Ohio is not Ohio. bad. Dad didn't go to Ohio. Ohio's not bad. Ohio hangs with, they hung with Tennessee a couple years ago when Tennessee wasn't that bad. So I think Ohio can beat UVA. I'm going to say UVA is two and one. Like Polini there now, or or is that am I getting mixed up there? No, you're getting mixed up. They have uh, Frank Solich. Frank Solich. I'm I'm getting mixed up with my former Nebraska coaches. They have a good one. That's great. Oh, he's good. <laughs> uh, so they're they're two and one in my opinion. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna give them three and one. I, I think they'll beat Louisville at home, but then it's a rough road for them. They lose at NC State four and two. Miami will crush them four and three. They beat Duke five and three. So I guess I'm gonna. Uh, I have to eat my words that I told you before we went on here. They will lose the rest of their games outside of Liberty six and six. They will make it. They'll get in a bowl game, but six and six isn't good. I think it's right on the line for them making a bowl game or not. I think there'll be a lot of excitement in Charlottesville after they start three and one, possibly four and oh, three and oh, somewhere in that area. There'll be, there'll be a lot of talk coming out of there. Oh, I yeah. do not see a group of wins coming down the stretch and they always lose to a Duke or North Carolina. So one of them's a for sure loss. Pittsburgh's better than them. They're, they get, they're going to be glad they have Liberty towards the end of the season to try to get them in a bowl game. If lib, if they don't have five wins before the Liberty game, they're not going to a bowl game. One of my big problems, though, with UVA is that Mendenhall has really changed their whole approach. They have a clock up on the wall. They they broke a landscape paver before the season that said beat tech. He's putting everything on beaten tech. And I think that team, you're trying to you're trying to get to bowl games. You're trying to do that kind of thing. I, I think you got to focus on some smaller goals first than beating a team that's you know, been in the top 25 year after year that's spanked you for a decade and a half. Like maybe you focus on beating Richmond first. Maybe you focus on beating Indiana instead of focusing on your last game of the season that you come up short in every time, even in years that you've been half decent and made bowl games, you still get spanked. by Heck, that's when Tech beats you worse. As I say, Virginia Tech has had some not good teams and still won against UVA. So I don't know. I, I don't think I don't like Josh Jackson and Josh Jackson played a horrible game against UVA last year, but I still think Virginia Tech wins that game with or without Josh Jackson as their quarterback, as long as it's not Ryan Willis. <laughs> so quarterback is the biggest question at Virginia Tech. Joe, I want to talk about the national outlook. Uh, I don't really plug Virginia Tech into uh, you know a, a playoff potential team. Maybe I'll change my mind after Labor Day night, but... Uh, you know, looking at the top teams, Alabama, Clemson, it seems like everybody's picking them to see each other in the national championship again. And it's it's hard to argue against. But tell me one of those other teams that are, you know, fighting for a national championship this year that you think could pull it off. Uh, you know, a team that's up there in the top 10, that I think is actually not going to end the season in the top 10 because they got some stuff going on is Ohio State. So l- let me start by saying teams I think will not be there. I don't think Ohio State's going to be there. I like Wisconsin at four. I think that's a very good football team there. Uh, I think they could surprise people. Um, Outside of that, I don't know, Leland. I'm looking at this, and I just – we mentioned in our talk with Greg that the FCS is very top-heavy with the top two and then everybody else. I think this might just be a top one and everybody else because I'm not sure Clemson is going to be able to hold on to that two spot, but 
their schedule's not hard at all this do year. I do I think Georgia's good enough to beat Alabama this year I don't know maybe I mean Georgia was pretty good last year they bring a lot of people back that freshman quarterback is going to be back for them. Yeah. I think Georgia would be the first team I would list, but that's easy because they're the number three team. But a team on the outside, even of the top 10 right now, that I want to watch is Michigan. I think they could get a jump start to the season with that early game against Notre Dame. And I think they could get a lot of momentum behind them. And knowing that Ohio State's a little bit down, like might might be down, they have a lot of stuff going on. I think Michigan's one of those, one of those teams outside of the top 10 right now to really watch to see what they can do to see if they can get a payoff from Harbaugh. They got to beat Notre Dame week one. Yeah, and but I'm not that scared of Notre Dame. I, I think Tech's going to beat Notre Dame in week four or five, so I'm not that worried about Michigan beating them in week now, one. Now, I did so. see on their college football preview, uh, and who picked them is escaping me, but West Virginia was an was a dark horse that made uh, one of their, it might have been Desmond's, Desmond Howard's it's, college football playoff. Uh, it's just hard for me to trust a Big 12 team. It that's really not is, Obama. right? Yeah. Wow. I mean, defense, optional in the Big 12, so... Yeah, what is I mean, Texas? Let me ask you this. Course. What is Texas doing in the top 25? I uh, the coach. The coach being there, they they it's all projection. They're they they'll be lucky if they wind up in the top 25. Um, you know, I don't see them getting much higher than 15 at any given point and I, whatever. They, they're down there as as we all know, they do these preseason rankings because of TV. And Texas plays USC in an early season game in that first weekend game. No, it's the it's the third game. Third game. I, it was early. I knew that. But that's it's made for TVs. So they're putting them up there, hoping they'll stay highly ranked. So it's for TV. I don't trust these rankings to too much until the end of September. That's when we see if West Virginia's made a leap upward. That's when we find out if Michigan's made a leap upward. And we'll see Texas sitting right there or worse. I was going to say, I think you look, they play Maryland to open. That's a win. Tulsa's a win. Both of those Talk are at about home. a team that has stuff going on. Yeah, both of those. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> both of those are at home, and they'll win both of those. Then they play USC, loss. TCU, loss. At Kansas State will be tough. Oklahoma, loss. So yeah. I, I think you're yeah. looking at three of their next four definite losses, maybe all four. Yeah, and then a nosedive after a good start. So I agree with you. Well, and all right, talking Yo. about your rankings before you move on here, I, I'll stop you. Uh, talking about rankings, uh, and I agree with you that they're made for TV. I think that's one of the reasons Virginia Tech's in the top 25. I don't think Virginia Tech will be in the top 25 for long. Yeah, if they lose to Florida State the first game, they'll drop right out. But then they have a chance to to rise back up with wins over Notre Dame and Miami through the season. They'll end up they'll end up sitting at where are they at twenty? They'll end up higher than they that's, started. That's the ceiling for me is twenty. So you think if they go ten and two, which you just annoyed them when we went through their schedule, a garbage they won't schedule. be. They'll be higher than twenty. They'll be thirteen. We'll see. See. All right. Next up on the podcast, we're going to go into our D block where you get to know more about us. We got some good stuff today, so stick with us. Welcome back to the Axe Sports Podcast, and we're in the D block, Joe. So we get to tell them about ourselves a little more, get a little bit more off topic. And I want to bring up first what's dominating my life, and it's something that's been dominating my life for over a year now. Um, is this podcast Origins with James Andrew Miller. I listen to it whenever one comes out. I listen to it as quick as I can. Uh, he's the guy that wrote the the book about ESPN. Uh, the um, These guys have all the fun book. Um, 
he also <laughs> also is the guy that wrote the Saturday Night Live book, and he wrote a, a book about the CAA, the talent agency. So he, he gets inside these big groups, inside these big businesses, and just interviews everybody and writes about them. And now he's taking podcasts and telling stories that way. What started out with a lot about ESPN, how the origin of PTI, the origin of game day, the origin of all those uh, afternoon shows on ESPN Sports Center. Uh, then he played interviews, full cut interviews of those. He did a pretty good series on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'm not into that show, but it was still good. Um, and now he's just done a whole section on Saban. It was called The House of Saban. And uh, he had interviews with his wife. Greg McElroy, his former quarterback, Lane Kiffin, which I thought was a really inter interesting interview. I, it's just really interesting. For a guy that hates Alabama, that roots against him every time I watch him play, very interesting. So I really recommend that to you and to any sports fan. Okay, yeah, I haven't checked that out, but that's definitely uh, something that I will put on my radar. So with that, I want to put out this week uh, hashtag favorite pod. You'll see some tweets about it on uh, on Twitter and some Facebook posts about it. Try to get our listeners to chime in with their favorite pod, sports related or not, put it out there so other people can listen to it. And maybe we'll talk about your favorite pod next week. Yeah. I mean, we know that yak sports pod is going to be up there near the top, but we want to hear your other ones. Yeah. The other favorite ones other yeah. than the podcast that we're hosting. While we're talking about podcasts, I would like <laughs> to put a little shameless plug for my other podcast, 40 sports. We are going to have Ray Hernandez back on. Great. That's the best interview you've ever had. Every time he's come on, it's the top, I guess, three mm -hmm. uh, interviews you've ever had. So I do recommend everybody go check out that 4D Sports. Uh, we'll send out a link when you guys post the new episode there and uh, make sure everybody can find it. Uh, but that's 4D Sports. Hey, that's one of my top favorite other, other podcasts, Joe. Let me tell you, we're going to be talking to him about uh, his baseball career because he's a, a member of the Gulf Coast league atlanta braves team he just got drafted this last mlb draft and uh, he's tearing up the gulf coast league so we're gonna be talking to him about that but we're gonna be talking to him about something that's dominating my life leland and it's dominating his as well and that's the liverpool football club uh in the english premier league soccer talk uh this team is three for three on the early part of the season they've got all nine points. They're chasing a legendary Man City team who absolutely dominated the Premier League last year and ran away with it. Man City had a draw uh, this Saturday against Wolverhampton one, uh, Wolves. And um, wow, that, that was big for Liverpool to get the win then following that up against Brighton. I'm telling you, it's going to be a great season. You got guys like Mo Salah, who was English Premier League Player of the Year last year. They improved the defense. Allison at keeper now. This this is a team, Leland, that has the chance to do something very special. Liverpool is on an insane drought uh, in terms of winning the league. And they this is a team that went to the Champions League final with a subpar back line. Well, not really the entire back line, but just one spot. And uh, Dejan Lovren, who's not very good, in my opinion. Uh, but And a subpar goalkeeper in Karius. And they lost their best player in the first few minutes of that game in Mosulat to an injured collarbone. They barely lost in the Champions League final due to an acrobatic goal from Gareth Bale, which really ruined my weekend that, that weekend. But I think this team has the ability to go back to a Champions League final, maybe. We'll see what the draw looks like. But definitely a heavy contender in the Premier League this season, Leland. And you know me. I'm not very optimistic about my teams. I like Liverpool to win the Premier League. Wow. So we'll start this with, I just don't know anything about Premier League. I do appreciate soccer. I watched the World Cup. We talked about it Come over. this past year. 
<laughs> I hear you. I like our local soccer. I know we have some really good soccer. The Lehigh soccer team is very good. Uh, I have cousins with uh, Kyle Stenzo there who is going to Virginia Tech to play soccer, my favorite collegiate soccer team. So I like all that, and I, I don't have a problem with soccer. I just don't know anything about the Premier League. So what is an insane drought in Premier League? Is it in 80, 90 years? I mean, I, I think their last league title was in the 80s. So this is not the Cubs we're talking about. This is like the Royals we're talking about. Well, here's the thing that you need to understand, especially in these top leagues in Europe. They're dominated pretty much by a handful of teams. So in the Premier League, you're looking at Chelsea, Man United, Manchester City. Those teams have kind of dominated Premier League titles in recent history. So it's like the NBA. Yes. Uh, In other top leagues in Europe, you're looking at even more heavy handed. Uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid are the only two teams in La Liga, which is the the league in Spain. The league in Italy has Juventus, uh, maybe an AC Milan or Inter Milan. Napoli last year got close but fell apart at the end. Uh, In France, PSG is... Monaco stole a title from them, but PSG is the team. So it makes the Champions League kind of you know who the players are going to be. It's going to be those clubs. Liverpool last year went on a great run, and Liverpool's finally with uh, Jurgen Klopp at the helm uh, for a few years now. He's gotten his players in there, his system. He's kind of built Liverpool back into the power that they traditionally were, and they're looking for their first title as the league is called the Premier League. It wasn't called the Premier League until the early 90s, and so that's kind of launched it into the TV market that it is and now it's gaining ground in america if you're if you don't watch it it is really it is, cool it is it is gaining ground and i respect that i just haven't grabbed a hold yet uh thanks for all the information my my conversion i guess will happen uh live on podcast yeah you're gonna come over i'm gonna get you to come <laughs> over some of these early saturday mornings before college game day and stuff comes on we're gonna watch some liverpool <laughs> good luck all right joe what do you know that we all need to know these Virginia preps preseason rankings in high school football. Let me start it off with our area teams here, Leland. We look at Riverheads. I don't think a lot of people will be surprised by this. They're predicted as the preseason number one in class one. One thing I'm surprised, though, with the top 10 poll there is that Chill Howie's second. I, I really thought Riverheads and Essex would be the top two teams because I do think those are the strongest two teams last year. And if you look down this list, it's the the same teams that we saw last year. So I'm just, I'm surprised to see Chalai second. I think Galax would be better than Chalai too, though. Yeah, probably so. Moving they on beat up. Them last year. They beat him last year, though, so it's tough. Yeah, moving on <laughs> up in class two. What surprises me is Central, number one. Appomattox, number three. Get real. This team has won three straight. Yeah. I think they have a great shot to win four straight. But the closest team in the area is East Rock at four. Uh, R.E. Lee comes in at eight. That's the other area school that made the top 10. I think East Rock very deserving of that higher ranking, higher than than Lee. And I think they should be up there. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Appomattox should have just been default. Number one central does bring back a lot, but I thought that would give them second at best. So yeah, they're uh, not going to be central, a team that every one of our area teams that are in two uh, a are going to have to worry about at some point because they're going to be sitting there in the region, probably hosting the region final. But the pressure falls on my alma mater this year, Leland. They come in at number two in the Class 4 preseason rankings behind the team that beat them in the state semifinals last year, the Salem Spartans. I do think Salem will probably repeat. They're really good. Uh, But Sharando, 
uh, bless them, man. I hope they do it. It would be the first state championship in program history there, uh, for football. Uh, I believe baseball is actually the only program that has delivered a state championship, uh, as far as team sports go. So I would love to see the football team join them, but man, you just look, Salem's going to be tough. Ah, man, Lake Taylor, Dinwiddie, these are a lot of, you know, names that kind of scare Sharando fans. You know, in in being like you, you know, like trying to be like you, I'm just going to turn into a big Salem fan this year. I'm just going to really uh, pull behind Salem and see what I can do. I don't do. really, like, listen, my family in Pulaski County, they don't like how I talk about Salem because I don't, like, I didn't grow up there. That's their rival. I didn't grow up there, so I don't hate Salem. I don't love Salem, but I just, I have a great respect for the way they play the game. They play it really well. Going on up the rankings, Highland Springs, the 5A team. I think they're going for their fourth straight uh, mm-hmm. state title now. Salem is as well. And then Westfield uh, is the 6A number one team right ahead of Oscar Smith. I think those two teams faced each other in the state championship last year. Westfield's won a couple in a row. Mm-hmm. So a lot of teams trying to repeat. All these number ones are, I think I think you're right, going back down to 2A. Central Woodstock, I think, is the only surprising number one out of all these. You would just assume Appomattox would have been sitting there. They lost a lot of talent, Appomattox did. But, man, they've they've been filling in the holes every other year. I don't know what the difference is going to be this year. And if this, you know, you're looking at Appomattox, you're looking at Riverheads, you're looking at, uh, you know, some of these other teams. Hopewell is a team that has been repeating a state champion and they're number two. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I, Salem and Highland Springs, Appomattox, these programs have a chance. And Hopewell, they have a chance to have an entire class come through their school and win state championships every year. I mean, that, that's insane to think of. Yeah. Yeah. And Riverheads has been to three straight. So already this year's team, um, you know, their varsity careers have been all in in state championship games. So very impressive what's going on there. And we have all season to talk about Riverheads. But let's move on over to what I know that you need to know. And that is talking about the Little League World Series. Always a fun time. Hawaii makes the U.S. proud with everything going on in Hawaii. The hurricane uh, or or cyclone or or uh, whatever they call it out typhoon. in the Pacific Ocean, typhoon, whatever you want to call it. The hurricane bearing down on them. Their little teams all the way over here in Pennsylvania. They're winning the world title, beating a world team in the South Koreans there. And uh, always fun when when the U.S. can take home that championship. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome. I You know, uh, I like the Little League World Series. I didn't get to watch it this year. I had some other stuff going on. It's very busy uh, past couple weekends for me. But. I think it's a great way for kids to get involved in the sport of baseball, which I love the sport of baseball Yeah, and seeing kids being involved in it and hopefully continuing their love of baseball all the way up because, you know, it's a sport that I fear is on the way out. Uh, just looking at the demographics of it and the ratings, I fear that baseball's going in the wrong direction. I think some adjustments are needed there, but that's a podcast for another day, but I love the little league world series when it comes, you know, there's the the whole thing about going to Pennsylvania, going to that town, the history that they have there, all the referee, all the referees, all the umpires being uh, volunteer, uh, the my, the coaches are mic'd up, so you're really getting to hear them. I think there's a lot of good that comes out of that. I love the game that they set up in the middle of it now with the MLB stuff coming in on Sunday. Last year, the Pirates played in it. This year, the Phillies played the Mets. And uh, I think that's cool to bring the big leaguers over to the game, have the interaction, and then take all the little leaguers to the game that night. 
and see a major league baseball game. I think there's a lot of good surrounding it. But I do say that with, I don't know why we need the 12 year olds on my TV screen. I don't know why we put these kids through possible scrutiny. I, I, you know, that's why we end up situations like Danny Almonte where people around him are making him cheat the game. And, and like, I, I saw the quick 30 for 30 on him, uh, not that long ago. And like, he's kind of battled that his entire life. You know, those situations are going to happen when we put 12 year olds in it. Then there's good stories. Then you get Monet Davis, the, the, um, the young woman that was pitching and she was very good and she wants to be a UConn basketball player. And there's a lot of good there, but I just wonder is all this worth it? Can you still have it and not put it on national TV? So guys can sit there and scrutinize how the pitchers throwing the ball to home plate. I, I don't know if we need these 12 year olds on TV. It would kill baseball if they took it off TV. I don't know if that would kill baseball. I don't it know if that it. would accelerate it. Like we'll move on from that. But I do like the Little World Series in general. I like baseball. I like the good around it. I just worry about the negative that can come from it. That's my last point on that, and I'm sure we'll bring it up again at some point. Next week on the Yak Sports Podcast, we're going to have a volleyball catch-up. Not really a preview, but more of a catch-up to kind of tell us where we've been and tell us where we're going. We're going to have Patrick Height from the News Leader is the plan, and it should be good to catch up on volleyball. We're going to have an NFL preview. We'll focus on our – our favorite teams, and then maybe make some uh, postseason uh, predictions for us and see uh, who we think is going to be in the Super Bowl. And we also might have a minute talking about the district shakeup. Things are getting more and more official with that as uh, votes and, uh, you know, um, every, everything going down with that, with the VHSL, people moving districts and uh, regions and all that. We'll get all that to talk about. And uh, we'll hear about more from us, right, Joe? That's right. We'll always be here, Leland. <laughs> all right well thanks for listening make sure you find us on twitter and find us on facebook yak sports pods the general way to find us make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next time one of these is released so we'll be back with you next week thanks for listening to yak sports you'll never walk alone liverpool <laughs> you've been listening to yak sports your Augusta county sports podcast